In the at the end of the Andrew Lester podcast, Wingnut rode past on his bike, and I um I didn't have his number, but I definitely took the opportunity to keep in touch from then, and we jumped straight into another podcast uh, at the alley together, and this is it here. I mean, Wingnut Smith, what a legend! He was the first kind of super Grom of all Groms, you know, to to come onto the world stage, and and in that kind of boom period of the. 80s, 90s, he really, um, he really kind of became uh, a symbol of what any young person could do. Um, really interesting guy, um, huge legacy, and uh, really nice bloke. So enjoy this podcast with Adam Wingnut Smith, recorded at the alley in some beautiful sunshine. All right, another episode of the podcast, Adam Wingnut-Smith. I was just sitting over there with Andrew Lester, having a chat, and then he rides past. Anyone who um, listened or watched that last episode with Andrew Lester would have seen Wingnut enter the scene late. So now we're sitting here at the alley, watching a few Malibu riders do their thing. Yeah, some nice little waves rolling in at North Cronulla, just yeah, down, yeah. just around the corner from Cronulla Point and Shark Island at North Cronulla Beach. We're going to go for a swim in about 10, 20 minutes after yeah. we have a bit of a talk on the beach. Yeah. That's sweet. So you've just been, you were just telling me, you've been back down here now um, for about four months. You're, you're up at north of the border for a bit there, but how does it feel to be back down here at your... Um, is this home? Has it always yeah, been home? Yeah, mate, yeah. Born and raised in the Sutherland Shire um, around um, Cronulla area. They call it um, Darwall country. It's, okay. Uh, yeah, it's the Sutherland Shire, all the, all the suburbs surrounding Cronulla. And, um, yeah, it is really good to be home. I went sort of walkabout for a bit. I bought some um, bought a property up on, on South Stradbroke Island in Queensland, which... I really enjoyed my time up there. Yeah. I was up there for about a year and a half, nearly two years. Yeah. And um, yeah, did a bit of travel. Got some, saw some good waves, some great surfing at Snapper Rocks, watching all the Cooley crew do their thing. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, I really enjoyed my time up there and met a lot of really nice people, Russ and some of the elders up there. And cool. Yeah, but to be home in um, back down here, it's just good to catch up, to be able to bump into your friends. You know, you might yeah. be out on your bike or doing your groceries or whatever going about your day-to-day and you just bump into like familiar faces and friends that you grew up with and those were the things that that I didn't realize I'd miss about being away from home but yeah so I kind of realized oh no I need to sort of be here to get back on my feet and get back in the water and try and try and lose five or ten kilos and get a bit fitter for summer I think that's everybody's challenge this time of year (laughs) everybody's got the same goals lose a few kilos for summer um it's really interesting that you mentioned i didn't know that this was durable country um is is that and you mentioned hanging out with some of the elders up up around cooley is um is that kind of connection to country really important to you like is that Um, something you really always look into and as i've gotten older yeah as i've gotten older like um a lot of indigenous things weren't really it wasn't as much awareness and education when I was growing up. Yeah. But now they teach a lot of it in the local schools and, you know, it's great to see the Aboriginal flag being flown next to the Australian flag at all the schools and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and they're yeah. teaching some of the local um, 
dialects of you know the local regions cool. like Bundina, Cronulla. Um, I think some of the local primary schools and stuff. And um, yeah, I wish it had been around a bit more when I was younger. But when I was bodyboarding and travelling, I got to meet some of the tribal people down at Jervis Bay and yeah. um, up up the mid north coast and all that, and do like little corroborees and watch them play the didge and the darky and all that. Yeah. So get involved with all that. It's always been good. And um, yeah, I just yeah I feel a strong connection. You know, there's been obviously a lot of. Um, reconciliation with the government and everything between Indigenous people and Australian people, and yeah. I've got I've, I've proudly got the tattoos of the Aboriginal flag, Australian flag, and the American flag because I spent a bit of time in the US and they helped me get home. I got yeah. a bit sick over there. So. Yeah. But yeah, being back in Australia, like you just got back from overseas, you know what it's like to be back home where you're born and raised, and yeah, we got such lovely beaches and. Um, you know, reef breaks everywhere. Just like even today to be on the beach, I just can't wait to get in the water. Yeah, yeah. it's a it's a bloody good day for it too. I mean, this is a predominantly a bodyboard podcast, so I'll, I'll take us back into the to the history, a little history historical journey with you. I mean, when you began bodyboarding back here, you know, you you very quickly rose to become like this kind of super grommet. You yeah. know, back in the day. It did, did it start for you here at the alley? Is this where it started for you yeah, as well? I was more of a South Cronulla boy. Like oh, okay. Got, this is the Cronulla Sharks board riders or the alley board yeah. riders. And then we've got the Cronulla Point board riders, which yeah. is where I was based, just around at South Cronulla, behind okay. Shark Island, Blackwoods Beach, Shelley okay. Beach, over around that area. But we're all part of the same area, but they are sort of broken up. You've got Allura board riders up there, which yeah. is where... Um, what's... Um, What's his name that's on the world tour at the moment? Um, uh, can't, he's, can't think of his name, but he's from Allura. Oh, Connor Allura. O'Leary. Connor O'Leary, yeah. yeah. But he grew up all along the whole strip here at Cronulla. Yeah. And, you know, Oki, who grew up, this is where Mark used to surf, and Cornell, yeah. is obviously, as well, out yeah. there. All the same region. But, um, yeah, I was more of a South Cronulla boy and grew up surfing South Cronulla, Cronulla Point. Yeah. Shark Island and come down here to the alley and get some fun little days here but um, yeah when we talk about the old bodyboarding days when I was a young teenager I miss those days you know Yeah. because as you get older like I'm 44 now you, you, you sort of want to relive your youth you want to get back to doing what you enjoyed doing as a kid Yeah. you know it keeps you gets you, you know life can get pretty um overwhelming as you get older with all the stuff that's comes along with it but really you want to get back to your roots and just remember what it was like to have that same enthusiasm and yeah stoke as a grommet you know being around the beach and yeah. the waves and stuff so with that with that like those young years because it did i mean how old were you when you got that first kind of board model how at what age were you then uh i would have been about i think i started I went from moray bodyboards when I was a kid. My first, my dad got me a moray. Yeah. And he knew some of the reps. And um, got my first manta board when I was about 13, I think. That's what roughly I thought, yeah. About that age. 12 or 13, I went to manta from moray. Yeah. And um, my dad became good friends with Terry Fleming, the, the founder of the Fleming family of yeah. um, 
Manta bodyboards, which was a godsend really because that was sort of launched me into my professional career and yeah. um, got me to travel the world and sort of live out a dream that was beyond a dream as a little kid. You know, there was there's no platform for that as of yet, but we just sort of went along for the ride as we got yeah. older and into our twenties and yeah, yeah, so. Yeah, that, that was about the age. And then I think I was about 14, 15 when we, Terry Fleming helped me release the first wingnut board. So. And that was like, I mean, we'll, we'll stay on that, but I want to even go earlier before we get too, too deep in that. Um, what, how did you get into bodyboarding? What was the, what was the kind of yeah. inspiration for you to do it at the time? As opposed to, you know, like you can yeah. ride anything around here. So well, I, why did the bodyboard jump out for you? Yeah, okay, well... Um, when I was, um, before I moved to the beach, like we're about probably 20 minute drive out west, yep. which is not far really, Sutherland, <laughs> yeah. Menai, Bangor region, yeah. same sort of west of the, the Sutherland Shire. Yeah. And then um, I was always really sporty, like I was into cricket and football and my dad was involved in sports. I was always really sporty. And um, when my mum and dad moved my sister and I out to the beach, because yeah. they... Um, yeah, they moved to the beach for whatever reasons they were renting here when they were still together and that was sort of my introduction to the beach like you move to the beach you'd see everyone enjoying the beach with whether it was a beach umbrella or a blow-up mat or a yeah you know a longboard or you know the things that we all see at the beach we had those back when i was a kid but um i just wanted to get into bodyboarding because some of my friends from school were bodyboarders and I was like, oh, mum, can you get me a bodyboard or a boogie yeah. board, whatever they wanted. I think we call them boogie boards back then. I'm sure that was the boogie board era, yeah. Yeah, and um, that was what sort of got me into that. But I, I rode surfboards as well. Like, I remember riding a single fin before I got a boogie board. But I enjoyed the stand-up surfing around at Blackwoods Beach where my mum and son bake, and I'd catch a few little waves and go, wow, this is unreal, like, my yeah. introduction to surfing. But I wanted to get a boogie board because some of my friends from school would do it and we'd do it after school. We'd just walk down the beach like the beach was our backyard. Yes. Yeah, our mum and dad would say, all right, it's safe to go down there. You've got the lifeguards and, mm. you know, there's all everyone else enjoying the beach and stuff. So it was just a playground, really, like after school and before school. And it was a godsend because it was one of the best things my parents could have done for, for my sister and I because we just... We were coastal kids after that. We just wanted mm. to be near the beach all the time, you know, near the waves. And how did the, the like, you know, you, you, you ended up going with the bodyboard. What was the kind of, did you kind of immediately fall in love with it or recognise that there was, like, something more going on here for nah, you? No, I fell in love with it. It was easy. It was easier than stand-up surfing. It was not as intimidating because, you know, it wasn't the heavy, hard fibreglass yeah, board, yeah. you know, if you fell off and your board bumped you on your head you wouldn't need stitches yeah, and things yeah. like that <laughs> but um <clears throat> fell in love with it and then noticed that some of the older guys like you know your Doug Robson's Matt Percy's Dean Harrell yeah. Brett Young all those older guys there was a crew of them that had bodyboards and they all had the hard bottom slick Mac 7s the new boards with the stickers and stuff on yeah. it and that and then there was a local surf shop that had the um, like American bodyboarding. He was a flight attendant. He used to bring the magazines back from America and Hawaii. Yeah, right. And um, like around the time the Tom Boyle movies came yeah, out. Yeah, right, right. So, and there was a few little small regional 
like club competitions that would pop up like yeah. they were grassroots but I, I had my foot in the door already because I knew some of the older people Yeah. and that's sort of where the professional side of things kicked off because it was like alright we can have our Cronulla Point bodyboard events and then you know the international guys would come here Keith Sazaki, Jay Real you know all around that era and my dad was involved because he was heavily involved in touch football and sport yeah but so he, he saw could the see thing that there was a young it. sport yeah, yeah that they had potential yeah you know that that kids and or even adults were enjoyed doing at the beach so my dad sort of helped the professional side of the sport with getting events running with people who were organized with um you know, putting on big events like the Pro-Am at Manly, like they yeah. talk about in Holding On, the movie, which I'm sure a lot of you have seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that's just where it all sort of snowballed from there. And the next thing you know, I was 16, 17, 18, and I was lucky enough, my dad would take me to Hawaii at the end of each year for yeah. school holidays, just for two, three, four weeks or something. But that's where they'd have the pipeline, the world, the world titles. You know, yeah. there was all the all the legendary older guys of the sport. Ross Hawk was competing yeah, right. for Australia, and all the in, I got to meet all the internationals. Became friends with a lot of my heroes. You know, like Mike Stewart and Ben Severson and Keith Sazaki, Jay Real, all those guys. So I was like, yeah, I was so lucky that I, I could sort of rub shoulders and be out in the water and get tips off guys the best guys in the world but yeah. they became my friends uh, i think look, there's chris Stroh sitting down the beach too oh like yeah, chris was <laughs> one of the local photographers yeah. he's just taken some photos of some of the local guys but yeah. he um he helped develop the sport as well was that it was that a pretty important part like i mean coming back to the board because i do want to get to Strohy as well as a factor in your kind of journey but you know was it it kind of all came together at the right time in a sense didn't it like because Manta recognised you as a talent, as yeah. a young talent in the yeah. in the area. Yeah. Chris Stroh was here filming talent yeah. in the area. Yeah. And then it seemed also like you've had this kind of father who was willing to yeah. put a lot of time and effort to, to make sure that you could develop your talent as yeah, well. That's right. So yeah, it's like yeah. these kind of three things seem to be working together. And Terry from Manta too. Yeah, exactly. Was, they're yeah. All really supportive. Like exactly. I was just I was just blessed to be, yeah, like you said, my dad was, like, after he split from my mum, he wanted the best for me and my sister. Yeah. And, you know, he just wanted to help us out, and he did what he could. He worked at the airport, which isn't far from here. Yeah. So we'd get cheap travel to Hawaii each year. And oh, okay, so that was, a little, that was a little feature. Yeah, so that okay. was a big thing. Like, I went to Hawaii, I think, from the time I was 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, like, each year wow so part of the, I sort of part grew up in Hawaii in yeah. a little way like I'd spend a little bit of time on the North Shore of that's Hawaii. cool was yeah, that a like was that an important year. part for you did that oh, like because yeah. you had Shark Island here which was obviously a wave that you could practice on and really develop that kind of charge like you know deal with the reef break deal with the consequences yeah but did that that time in Hawaii did you like did was that formative as well like oh, and, and was it mostly at pipeline or where were you spending your time when you were yeah, in yeah on the seven mile strip yeah, yeah. on the on the north shore of oahu so obviously there's five ten twenty world-class breaks over yeah. there you know and it taught me a lot about localism and respect for the local people yeah um you know obviously 
Australia and Hawaii have got links with the Duke Hanamoko. Like the yeah, Duke yeah. came out here and was such a legend over over there with the Aloha spirit and everything. And it taught me a lot, like respecting the older people, respecting other people's country and their surf breaks. Like surfing mm. was always very tribal mm. and localized, especially bodyboarding. Yes, sort of had to. You had to sort of pull your head in and make sure you. Um, you know, you were respectful of mm. all the older guys and, and that. But Hawaii did teach me a lot about that and I was lucky enough to meet a lot of the like the heavy like the heavy crew, like you know, and as growing up as a teenager and becoming a young man and into manhood, I idolised those guys and I wanted to be like them when I got older and fit and mm. strong and be at the beach and mm. and be able to surf power like power surfing and all that and style and stuff mm. and so I think it helped my surfing 100% yeah. yeah being able to grow up like that yeah with that every year yeah. I mean when the board you know like you had this wingnut model that shit I don't know a kid at the time that didn't have a wingnut board like was that just a mind blowing experience in itself you know to have that like the success of that board yeah. so sudden? Was it like a yeah. shock to your yeah, system? Yeah, yeah. But because but I didn't really know any different, I was so young, yeah. it was kind of normal. Yeah, but right. looking back on it now, I think, wow, like how lucky I am. Like it's so fortunate. It's such an honour. Yeah. Because the, I tell this story to a lot of people because I get asked it quite often. And, and, it, and it reminds me, it reminds me of... Um, um, like when I grew up, my mum, I remember my mum taking us to the Sydney Opera House to watch like the um, skateboarders like oh, okay. um, Christian Hoysoy, you know, the Power Peralta guys, yeah, yeah. you know, the, around the um, Searching for Animal Chin, Power Peralta, you know, Tony Hawk days, all that. Because we used to see the boards in the shop windows and go like, look at these skateboarders, they've got like actual skateboards. they got models, yeah. Yeah, and this was the late 80s, like early 90s where it was like they had their own model. And that's why when I was lucky enough to hook up with Manta, and I think they talked about bringing out the Pro Hawk at the time, yeah. and then they threw the idea around of having a grommet board with wingnut on it, you know? That in and itself like, is revolutionary. I was like, yeah, 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 I could see that there was a market for it, yeah. and there was a lot of younger guys who didn't need to have a smaller board, so yeah. I thought I'll just try and jump in and, and capitalize on the on the grommet side of the bodyboarding market and yeah. i think it worked out really well like we sold a lot of boards with manta and um yeah it was a blessing and i've just just um got got through finishing off selling about 60 limited edition uh wingnut boards through qcd yeah yeah out. yeah and um that was that was made me feel really like proud and good that i can be in my 40s and still be able to sell boards to guys that grew up in my era and guys yeah. up and down the east coast of australia and I, st I was getting orders from overseas still like people interested and you know are you going to do another when, run of those are you, are you thinking um, to do more in the future yeah it's not it's not like it's not a priority at the moment but um um, if there's more demand and if i get more people asking me on instagram and facebook and social media if I think it's worth doing another run, I'll get another 50 done up or something if I can afford to get, you know, the materials and yeah. stuff are quite expensive. But yeah. but it was more just a little project type thing um, to go with the Holding On movie, you know, yeah. just release it with that and just see what sort of interest we had. But it's not a huge market, you know. It's not like I've got right guys contacting me. We want this, we need, we need yeah, more boards. Yeah. But, um, 
you know it's sort of a specialty thing you know like yeah that's cool yeah but um, like with that with that career that kind of moment you know would you say that it really like what was the how old were you when it really kind of the switch was flicked and you were like adam wingnut smith professional bodyboarder yeah, yeah. this is real how old were you i when that would happened? have been 16 17 when right. i start oh, about 17 when 17. i hit the pro like went from amateur to pro yeah. and then i there was started to be money involved and um yeah mainly from like my endorsements with manta surfing yeah. products and then also professional events having more money involved in the um bodyboard um, events. The world tour had kicked off when I left high school. I was 18. Yeah. That was probably a big reality check. It was like, well, what are you going to do when you finish school? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, we've got all these events. This is part of the GOB, the Global Organization of Bodyboarding. Yeah. As they talk about on the movie Holding On, and I just went straight from high school, graduating high school, to straight onto the world tour, and I did that for two or three years before I, I fell ill with the bipolar and yeah. had to be hospitalised and stuff. So. I probably could have kept my career going longer if I didn't if I didn't fall ill, but um, I was just happy to get a good solid two or three years of like yeah. traveling the world and living the dream and beyond the dream really of what I ever expected yeah. would, would, would come of my career. So I got all that good time, and then when things were up and down with my health and stuff, I still stayed in the sport. And I think the Shark Island event helped that as well. Yeah, like, I was going to say, that must have given you another, like, a second wind yeah, after Yeah, just that, sort of stepped it up. Like, it was like, rather than just sort of go back into doing... Like, I got involved in um, um, carpentry and doing apprenticeships and in the building trade and different jobs, which we've all got to do in your 20s and stuff, finding yeah. different work. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it just sort of made me think, hang on, I can stay involved in the bodyboarding if I stay fit enough and healthy enough and I'll try and do really well at the Shark Island event because it's like, you know, it's right there and I had the experience and, yeah. I, I, and the confidence like that I could do well in that event. So that sort of kept me involved in the sport in a sense where I just wanted to... And plus I still, like, I still love the sport that gave me so much and surfing as well and just swimming at the ocean body surfing whatever it is yeah i'll always want to be involved in that you know like i don't mm. want to go and live out west or move to the bush nah and, nah you know i just want to be around the beach and try and be fit and healthy enough to be able to be catching waves so mm. yeah that's that's pretty much how where, where it all just just trying to do trying to make money off the things you enjoy doing the most you know yeah and um I'm looking at a career down the track like diversional therapy. I want to do talks with Holding On and um, the movie Holding On and um, Kiss by God, the Andy Irons documentary, where it talks about um, addiction and yeah. uh, mental illness, um, you know, drug and alcohol, the effects of all that. Like, mm. I was never really a clean cut athlete triathlon type person <laughs> yeah. I was more of a I don't party think many man. people are like to be honest yeah. like I don't think anyone oh, it's a yeah. very rare beast to but I think I that. can offer some advice there whereas you know if you sort of focus on being more like focused on healthy and that you, you can sustain a longer career in yeah in this in your chosen but what's this work. diversional therapy what's that all about oh, just just to take people's minds off like they might be school leavers, like, you know, say year 12 or yeah. um, people that are in, you know, have mental health issues that are in and out of hospital, 
just diverting their thoughts from being depressed, like you might be suffering de depression or anxiety or something, and and you can take your mind off it by watching surf movies and bodyboard movies, and or whether it's to do with music or things that they love doing. You know, music's a big thing. I like art, music. Mm -hmm. I've just done um, a couple of weeks that um, I wasn't feeling real well, and I went up back up to hospital, and they they played around with my medication, which has been really good for me. But we did diversional therapy like music and art classes and um, cooking classes, things like that. You know, just to take your mind off, you know, being depressed and being sick and being unwell. I just think I want to be more of a motivational peer support type speaker. Yeah, yeah. I think I've got a lot, lot to offer there. So I might, I might look at doing my own business and travel up and down the coast and try and work with the hurley, the young surfers, you know, and yeah. sort of more of a thing of like, do as I say, not as I do, or not yeah, as I've yeah, done, yeah. because like, you know, there was a lot of, I picked up a lot of bad habits along the way, but whereas I, you know, I want to try and be a motivational speaker and tell people that if you make the right choices, you know, you can have longevity in your career, whether yeah. it's surfing or whatever it may be, keep, stay focused on that and not party so much, go out, get mixed up with, you know, illegal drugs and all that, because it, it's just take you down a bad road you know do you think that like the did the success did the kind of sudden success at that age that you had yeah was that kind of like part of the recipe for, oh, 100%. for the downfall yeah, yeah definitely do you yeah. think it's good for people to get that like level of success so young if, can, if, can a young person really handle it um if you can manage it and stuff like i know i've seen a lot of other people in acting and that like um TV stars, things like that, that are yeah. successful when they're younger, they always seem to sort of go off the rails a bit as they get older. They seem and to, it was right? it yeah. was hard for me, like being so well known, just just the way you perceive things, your perception, especially yeah. going from like a little teenager to like a full grown man. Yeah, you know, like in your twenties or thirties, you got to make that transition. Yeah, and it was just hard for me. Um, Plus, there was, there was drugs and alcohol involved, and that doesn't help as well with your perception on reality and stuff. So, yeah. they're the sort of things that I'd sort of try and steer people away and just say, you know, if you're successful when you're young, then you can roll it over and, you know, you can stay successful, basically. Just, you don't want to go off the rails. There's certain, certain tips and that that I can give people where I may have gone wrong, you know, as a young kid. I'm sure there is, but I mean, there's also parts where you obviously went right. Like, you know, like to get to the level of ability that you got to at such a young age. Yeah. I mean, it required something pretty special to, yeah. be, able to, to, to be able to get there. And, yeah. you know, what, what do you think the key things for you as a, as a teenager, what was it that you were doing that got your ability level so high, so yeah. young? What do you think it was? Off the top of my head, I'd have to say the thing was being so young and trying to trying to better myself and get better and push was a lot of the older guys like okay. you know the groups the older group of people you want to be as good as them or you know not outperform but you just want to be at their level or want their respected by your peers you yeah, know yeah 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 and also um i think bodyboarding was good at the time because we were i was always a surf fan you know i was a fan of surfing in the 80s and yeah. 90s and always looked up to surfing. A lot of us bodyboarders did from around here and um, it made us want to be better bodyboarders to sort of get some sort of level of respect from 
the surfers to think, hang on, these boggy, these boogie boarders are actually doing some pretty cool stuff. Like they're yeah. drawing good lines and they're getting good barrels and doing pretty big airs and stuff. I don't know. I just wanted, I just wanted to sort of surf my boogie board the way that the, the best surfers were surfing their surfboards, if that makes sense. Yeah, like yeah. drawing similar lines and you know doing sort of same sort of aerials and just I don't know if that makes sense that's what I wanted to do whereas like I always surfed as well like I love getting on my surfboard and surfing but yeah. I was never really any good in surfing but I knew that I, I was up the top of in the bodyboarding in my teens and stuff so I could just focus like wholly on being the best body rider I could be because it, it might get me onto the world tour it might yeah. get me around the world to travel one day and um yeah and it did so like I was lucky you know and I got to meet so many people and surf so many great waves around the world and go to all these beautiful places and it's just from um yeah bodyboarding and surfing mainly and but was it like that um but so with that development of your abilities it really was about you you kind of seem to have been looking either up at the next generation or the guys above you thinking I want to be in that pack yeah yeah and then you know it's always about kind of working to an external kind of source like yeah. you're like I, I want to be there I want the respect of those yeah, guys yeah. is that kind of the main driver you think yeah it was definitely yeah definitely of course now that I'm older like the last 10 years or something I'm 44 now yeah I don't have that at all like I want to be I want I love surfing and I still bodyboard yeah but I don't want to outperform anyone I don't want to perform to anyone's standard of or level yeah. I just want to go out and be happy in the ways yeah and for me it's me wanting to be like surf the last wave as well as I surfed the one a couple of months before or whatever like so if I'm cooking it I'll be hard on myself but if I'm out there enjoying it and having fun and a laugh and I'm out there with friends or some sexy chicks in bikinis <laughs> I'll be like yeah it's made like been worth coming to the beach for the day you know yeah that's cool that's cool I mean looking back you, you, you talk with like you know I can see there's this like kind of fond memories of that kind of time when your professional career was really soaring like what is there a specific moment in that time that you kind of look at like can you pick a moment and tell a story like is there a great moment um, from your history that you can share yeah I'd have to I'd have to touch on the one like we were just saying we just accidentally bumped into Andrew Lester you're doing the podcast yeah, with yeah. Andy cool and I heard him mention the ISA which is um, people if people aren't familiar with it it's um to do with um, getting surfing into the Olympics which this year 2020 has finally happened apart from COVID has kind of stuffed things up a bit but back in 1996 um, when I won the first or second Australian tour title mm. I was, it was me and Steve Bullock McKenzie from Maroubra who I looked up to and I still do um, like you know I, I beat him a couple of times and we qualified onto the Australian team mm. so we got to wear the Australian emblem like you know emblem and a blazer and we had uniforms sponsored by Quicksilver and to me that was a real highlight that was like I'd been accepted into the surf tribe because we were you know we we're in the team with Munga Barry and um, Taj Burrows a lot of good surfers um, women bodyboarders and yeah um, and it was just an honour to walk with the Aussie flag and to do the whole march up Huntington Beach, California, be a part of the big whole surf tribe or industry type thing and be accepted. And we had um, 
Wayne Rabbit Bartholomew was one of our coaches and yeah. Mark Warren who I absolutely idolised because yeah. we always idolised the surfers from the the sort of 60s and 70s like yeah Michael Peterson and all that rabbit era yeah, and yeah. the bronze dozzies and all that so we always really looked up to them because we always felt that bodyboarding was a bit like that was yeah. and there was no money in the sport we were just trying to get it to a state a professional yeah, yeah. stage like they were back then but um, to be in that team and to represent Australia and finish third and win a bronze medal um, that would probably be one of the biggest highlights yeah representing your country um, that's that's a big standout for me. It's interesting that that is a big standout. Like, and, and maybe it's just because of assumptions made about the Cronulla guys, this kind of the skid kids dominating that wave over there, and kind of being really focused on charging and doing, you know, these kind of tackling these mutant kind of slabs was the the notoriety that I think Cronulla bodyboarders had from that period. At least for a guy coming from Foster and maybe guys coming from outside. So it's really interesting to hear that your fond memory is of a of a competition that was probably in pretty shitty waves, right? It wasn't yeah. probably any good, Oh, no, nah, there was some other moments, like, when you, we talk about as far as the waves, yeah, the waves yeah. were ordinary, no good for, like, just shitty little beach breaks. Yeah. But he it still was, came third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As That's a cool. Team, as, you know, as a team, we finished third yeah, to America yeah, yeah. and Brazil. But um, there was other moments, like, like there was moments that outshone that as far as waves, like surfing pipeline, like, with with some of my heroes like Michael Derrick Ho and you know Mike Stewart and Sean Briley and all these great Hawaiian surfers like just sharing the lineup with them being accepted not as one of the boys but just you know that like you know getting the nod off them and yeah 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 you know and the shuckers and that like just being accepted on the north shore of Hawaii and spending time over there and you know not getting into much strife and just yeah you know, that's just usually to do the, the right thing by that's the That's usually how you guys. measure success over there. If yeah, you get like there's a lot no of strife, a, you're pretty too, happy. There's too many things to sort of sit here and, and pull out of the memory bank. But it's like there's moments where I sit at home or, you know, in my quiet time and I remember those good times. You know, yeah. if I get, if I'm starting to get down or depressed, I'll remember the good times and think, hang on, like what got me to that stage? Like, yeah. I can still do that. Like, I'm 44. But there's still other things I can do till I'm 50 yeah. or whatever. I'm going to have to work hard, you know, to to make money and to, to pay rent and all that. But um, you just got to focus on the things that you love doing. Is it your family and friends and having fun and going to the beach with them or teaching kids to surf or your family to surf or, yeah. you know, like there's all these little moments and just just makes you want to think like, that they were special moments growing up so then there's going to be more special moments ahead like yeah. plenty to look forward to you know if you just focus on the little things and then get to enjoy the good times with your friends and family and doing the things you love is that the kind of message part of this kind of because you know you mentioned you you've, you've got this kind of constant you know this bipolar struggle like it's part of your yeah. life yeah um is that that kind of advice that you give to people or, or what is that kind of advice that you give to anyone that might listen to this who's, who's struggling themselves? We had Ryan Hardy on this podcast oh, okay. as well and he's had his yeah. kind of challenges with bipolar as well and he shared some of the things that he's been doing. But what, what's your kind of advice for someone who, you know, despite all of the ups and downs of life, you're still here, you're still kind of fighting fit and you're yeah. still ready to go. Yeah. Like, what, what are you, what's your take on the best um, kind of advice well, you can give to anyone? Oh, off the top of my head, I don't really know. Just that um, 
like I said, diversional therapy, you know, if you're down and depressed or, you know, if you're trying to bodyboard and you, you don't feel you're good enough to be a really good bodyboarder or something, divert your, your train of thought or, like, your perception on things and, and just go, hang on, like, you know, it's it's not that bad, like, or... or look at other like other hobbies you know like if you're bored of bodyboarding or surfing or mm. you know which is all your passion then look at it there's other things you know there's music cooking like just there's all different things you can do to keep yourself positive stay happy go and visit friends you know it's hard with covid like the government's getting on board with me- mental health and yeah yeah and all that well, they have and to right like it's a crisis i'm for sure, sure some now. people struggle than more than others but um mm. it's hard to say but like without talking to an individual what they're struggling with but um yeah just just shift your way of thinking like your perception on things you know like certain you know people might look up to me and my bodyboard career but really that might be a false perception of how my life actually was they Mm. might think oh this guy's lived this fairy tale lifestyle when really it wasn't really like that there was a lot of hardship and a lot of tough times and those glorified highlighted moments they weren't really that good at the time anyway like mm. for me like they were mm. big things like big goals of mine that i've achieved and ticked off but each individual can do that in their own life with you know it doesn't have to like make your own life out to be your own fairy tale like you're telling you you know you're the movie star of your own destiny like you know create your own journey write down your goals and don't be too hard on yourself if you don't achieve them and stuff and don't get down and depressed and you know focus on the people that you know are in your life and that have helped you and who you want to help and things like that i don't know it's hard no hard i think that's i think that's it. solid but you know yeah. but i think it's cool about like that idea that um that that fairy like you know people can look at someone else's yeah, life like, and assume a fairy yeah. tale like i might look at kelly slater for example yeah. or mark ocalupo like from the local area around yeah. here and think oh you know they've done this done that and they're still doing this and they're still doing that but really deep down they're probably just all like average people you know they go about do their ordinary things have their ordinary they just, struggles they just have this dream job that we all love to be you know 11 times world champion or whatever and or have your own wave pool where yeah you know but really deep down they're just ordinary people with ordin- like ordinary friends going through the same sort of day-to-day struggles like everyone else except they just we've all put them on a pedestal because you know they're legends mm. but really you know they're just average people so like every average person can achieve great things and they, you don't need thousands of people worshipping you and saying oh you're such a legend or follow, we'll follow you on Instagram or whatever you just go about your own do your own things and just yeah just just be proud of your own everything you've done look back on the things you've done and go shit I had to work really hard to get through school and to get through this and this and that and whatever and just be proud of who you are and what keep learning as you grow older I don't know I, yeah, yeah yeah I don't really I don't really feel like I'm a, a teacher or a fucking prophet I don't want to well, go you just, preaching and that but you just you just shared some wisdom so that's yeah, all right that's what yeah. I think that's what we're meant to do over over time yeah, yeah <laughs> we're meant yeah. to learn a couple of things and share a few tips along the way so yeah. Well, look, thanks for thanks for the chat. I think it's a nice, um, really good little 
bumping into each other yeah, at the no, right I enjoy, time. I was I cruising talking. through town. Yeah, I enjoyed talking. And when let's, I saw you and Andy yeah. sitting there having a chat, and now I've just seen Chris Stroll. Yeah, let's go. I've got to go. We'll go harass yeah, him next. Yeah, go and say hello. <laughs> I'm going to have a swim too. Yeah, exactly. But, so let's um, get in thanks, the water. Thanks for no worries, uh, having mate. a chat. I've enjoyed no it. Sitting down no the beach. Oh, stoked. I mean, I know for a lot of guys in my generation that, you know, like, the before there were the the kind of you know the young stars of like your players and all that there was you know wingnut was that star that everyone looked at and gone shit he's doing that at 16 like yeah. i want to do that at 15 yeah. you know like so yeah. no you're a really big inspiration for a lot of yeah. us and i think it's just really i cool. know and i'm proud of that too like yeah. the people i've helped like andy lester yeah he, i used to make him wingnut boards ryan hardy i used to work with mitch Rawlings, we yeah, that boards. was one of his first. Yeah, yeah, like they were all underneath me, and you know, the players were always really competitive. They, oh, they didn't ride my boards, I don't think. But you know, to see the next level of guys come through and then sort of, sort of surpass what I could have done yeah. and sort of take the sport to another level. Yeah, it made me feel like, well, shit, I've done my bit. Like I did contributed my part. Hundred percent. Now it's up to the next generation to keep pushing and pushing and taking the sports in new heights and yeah when i look back overall i think you know we as the skid kids and as individuals we did that and i'm proud of it you know it's, it's yeah. good to see that the sport and you know people are just enjoying the beach and all different types of crafts and that so yeah, yeah it's all good cool well let's go enjoy it ourselves yeah i'll go and say <laughs> hello to strolling <laughs> Look, 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 look